You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. So today we're hopping back into Romans 1, uh, and I want to remind us where we were last week so that Romans 1 makes sense, uh, where we're going today. Last week we spent all of our time on just two verses, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We talked last week about how Romans is a lot about about God's righteousness, about God's justice. And Paul's going to set for us a courtroom in a few chapters here. And in the courtroom, you're going to have you're going to have Jesus on one side and you're going to have the world on the other. And those who get lumped with Jesus are found under God's righteousness, under God's justice in his courtroom. And those who are lumped with the world are going to be found in the unrighteousness and the injustice that the world has to offer. That's kind of Paul's setting up of all of Romans. So we have to kind of keep that in mind as we move through it. I know we don't often like to talk about judgment in the church, but... Man, I used to just kind of cherry pick preaching love verses throughout the Bible, which is all great because God is love. And if you're going to get hung up on one characteristic of God, love is the one. But I think we have to be honest. A God who does not care about justice is not a God who actually loves because then he doesn't care about what happens to people and to uh, all the bad things that happen. So the justice of God is actually a good and loving thing. We have to see it uh, in the light that we often don't like to talk about. Uh, So with that being said, last week we spent a lot more time on the righteousness of God revealed to those who follow Jesus. Paul then continues his statement and says the wrath of God or the judgment of God is revealed against those who don't follow Jesus. Those who don't get justified with Jesus. Those who aren't in Jesus's righteousness and in Jesus's uh, um, justice because no human is good enough by themselves. We're all born into sin. We live in sin. And because of that, we are stuck in sin. We cannot escape that. Humanity has been trying since the dawn of time to get free of sin. And the way that Bible paints sin, especially in Romans, you might as well put a capital S on sin. It is a It is an entity. It is a thing trying to get you. Uh, Even as early as Cain and Abel, actually, the Bible talks about God tells uh, Cain, uh, sin is out crouching like a lion and wants to devour you. It's like an entity. It's coming for you. Watch out for it. Everybody is born into sin. No one can break sin. Jesus is the only one who is without sin. And Jesus, therefore, is the one we need to follow if we, too, want to be free of sin. Because it's the only way that we can get get around this problem that all humanity faces. So uh, I'm going to read just three paragraphs, which is where we're going to camp out today, uh, which is um, a little hard to listen to. It's not um, the easiest part of Romans for many people to, to get through, but this is our Bible. And as the inspired word of God, we need to listen to it. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those which are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, parents, not parents, <laughs> foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. There's another Genesis story out there, and I really like this one. It's a fantasy, a, a mythology of sorts, written by J.R.R. Tolkien, um, who uh, created Lord of the Rings. And if you don't know much about Tolkien, this guy was like a staunch Catholic. Uh, he didn't really, am I using that word right? My wife will correct me if not. Staunch? Okay, all right. What does it mean? It's like devout. Oh, why don't I use devout instead? Let's, let's use words that I know instead of words I don't. Uh, Tolkien was a devout Catholic. Now, he did not like allegory. C.S. Lewis was one of his best friends, at least for a while, and he hated Narnia. <laughs> Tolkien spent all this time building this beautiful world where he was trying not to be, like, super... Uh, obvious as to like the points he was trying to make from his his own catholic perspective and lewis of course was just like straight to the point about all the allegory that he was making tolkien didn't like that uh, but at the same time tolkien still in my opinion used allegory in his own kind of way he was so devout in his catholicism that it bled through into many of the stories he was trying to tell in his fantasy world. And in The Silmarillion, which is a really boring book, only Tyler in here has read. Um, just kidding, the beginning is, at least is a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, right at the beginning of The Silmarillion, there's its own genesis, its own creation story. And it's a really beautiful mythology that he paints. And the way that he says it is this, that in Tolkien's world... God starts 
making angels, and then sings a song. And we might imagine the song just in a straight line. It looks like this. And it's beautiful, and it's deep, and it's got all these different uh, beautiful parts to it. And then the angels start to sing into the song too, as they're supposed to. But over time, this Satan-like figure in Tolkien's world, he starts adding his own variations into the song. And if, if God's song is order, if God's song is uh, um, justice, is righteousness, uh, is the way uh, that he creates through this music, then Melkor, this Satan-like angel, his song is trying to improve on it. It's trying to twist it. It's trying to throw in a few variations to the theme and offer the angels and eventually humanity another song that they could sing if they wanted to. One that is disordered from the original song. One that is um, broken, is so eventually different that it clashes with the song. And, and Tolkien keeps talking about the world being sung into uh, order and Satan's song gets harder and harder and more brash and more violent, while God's song keeps this kind of gentleness and softness and sweetness and depth to it. And eventually, all the other hosts of heaven look at the songs that are being offered and have to choose, like, what song would they prefer to sing? The one God intended of order or to start following a different kind of wisdom, a different kind of disorder, a different kind of chaos with another song. And eventually Satan's song is pictured as waves, violent waves just crashing against each other. Now I don't know about you, but when it comes to me, capital S sin often wants to throw its hook on me and teach me a different song than the one God has sung. Wants to rope me in. Jamin, there's, there's another way. Sin's always beckoning. There's another way, another kind of wisdom. Uh, it's different from what God would offer, but maybe it will appease your senses more. Come sing the variations. Come sing something else. I'll think of an uh, example from my own life. It's Father's Day, so this isn't a great time to share this story. But I'm not always happy with how I father. <laughs> I remember uh, when I was dating someone in high school. Uh, her mom came in the room, was very upset with her grades and just destroyed her right in front of me. And I had never seen a parent just come down so hard on a child before about anything, let alone grades. And I, I looked at the situation and it felt unjust. Like I wanted to like stand up to my girlfriend's mom and be like, you can't say that. You know, like, yeah, I'm just going to create a soap opera going on here. I was scared, but like, I felt like I needed to speak into it, and I didn't. And I watched as my girlfriend just cried as her mom couldn't stop herself from yelling. Nothing like abusive, just yelling. I thought to myself, I will never do that. Fast forward, I've done that. Uh, where I just sometimes in these moments of Anger, like I'm not abusive, I'm not hitting, we don't even spank in our house, anything like that. But like I'll get to this point of like my brain just stops and I'll start yelling. 
and I'm struggling to come out of it. One of the more recent times that really opened me up to the disorder of my life, where God's calling me to be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, self-controlled as the fruit of the Spirit, I'm following this other dynamic being offered, another kind of wisdom. Maybe if you yell, then they'll catch on to it. And right before we went on vacation, that was the time where I finally like said, I got to get a hold of this. And I've been working with my therapist for this for some time, so it's not like new. Uh, but um, uh, we were getting ready to go on vacation. I had all this work I had to get done between my two jobs, especially my other job at the time. I'm working on it like crazy, and I see like the countdown is coming. I've got a few hours left in this final day. I got to finish this work, or I'm going to be doing work on vacation. I don't really want to do work on vacation. And I, uh, my daughter came down just to ask a simple question. Can we play video games? And I just lost it. I just lost it. I had mentioned, like, I'm stressed out. Don't come downstairs right now. I got to work. But nothing was justified for the way in which I lost it. It was like, it feels like if I have these two brain lobes, what are they called? Lobes? We'll call them lobes. It's as though, like, one is focused on work, and then the other one needs to be focused on a kid, and they just like <laughs> split right down the middle and they don't, they don't know how to operate. I noticed while we were on vacation that uh, um, my daughter was quite quiet with me. Uh, and I, uh, had a, I apologized. I, I always try to apologize to my kids after I've yelled. Beckett's here right now. Beckett, I'm sorry for when I yell at you. Okay? I love you. Um, but there in front of... Uh, uh, like my wife, my wife notices like Jericho has been quiet. She's not really talking to me that much. And it's like midnight where that really sets in for me. Uh, everyone goes to bed and I just enter this shame spiral where I hate myself. And I go outside and I walk around the pool for an hour from midnight to one in the morning probably with people in the apartments all around just staring at this guy walking around a pool yelling at himself. <laughs> I cursed at myself. I don't usually do that very much. I yelled at myself. I tore myself apart. I hoped that I hadn't ruined my relationship forever. And after an hour of uh, just really reaming into myself, I realized, you know, I, I really haven't I, th- I feel like I've been praying, like, God, I'm such a bad person. I need to follow you better. You know, like, this is what my, my fun little prayer sounds like. Um, and after an hour of this, I realized, you know, I haven't even stopped to listen to the Holy Spirit. And I stopped, and I'm like, you know what? God, I don't want to listen to the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like a Jonah moment. Jonah didn't want God to speak to Nineveh because he knew that if God spoke to Nineveh, God would be kind and loving and compassionate and listen to them. And that's how I felt with God. I'm like, God, I know if I listen to your Holy Spirit, you're going to be nice to me. And you shouldn't be nice to me right now. You've got to lie into me. Uh, I also don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the stamina to try to meet with the Holy Spirit right now and listen to what you might have to say. So, God, I'm going to pause for two seconds And just stop, and if you want to say something, go ahead, but I don't have the energy, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. I stop here in the midst of the chaos, not in this line of God, but in this song that has just gotten worse and worse and louder and louder and more and more violent. 
And I instantly just have this impression. When God speaks, it's not like audible or anything like that. I just have this instant impression on my heart. Jamin, go to bed. You're drunk. Which is funny because I don't drink. Uh, (laughs) I've never had a drink in my life. But I understood instantly in that moment what that meant. You're a depressive drunk. I can't reason with you right now. I can't speak to you. Jamin, go to bed. I don't want to hear about yourself anymore. (laughs) And so I went to bed. And the sweet, loving, kind, gentle, soft, soothing song spoke into the chaos. And the chaos stopped. And I went to bed. I went to bed with headphones on listening to cartoons. That was something I learned when I was a kid. When night comes, if I don't distract myself, I will just think of everything I've done wrong and rip myself apart. So this night was like that on crack, just like an explosion of it. I woke up the next morning. I apologized to my daughter again. I tried to say I would do my best to not ever get to that level of craziness again, and I was sorry. And we managed to, within that day, I saw a change in her reaction with me. That's a glimpse at my chaos, at me trying to be vulnerable with you. I've got other chaos, things that I bring to my therapist as well. That's why I have a therapist. There's chaos in my life. Help me figure out how capital S sin has put a hook in me and help pull me out of it. And Paul here, in this story, starts referring to God's order And then the chaos that the world has to offer. Now, I know it's unpopular to talk about today, but there's a reason that Paul starts. uh, First, he starts with worshiping false idols. Why? Because he's 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 starting to paint Eden. This is a big deal for the Bible writers. Eden is like wisdom. Eden is God's order. Eden is the way in which God has constructed things to work. And ultimately, at the end of the Bible, Eden is where we return, where we find the fullness of God's order. And so the Bible writers reflect on Eden. What did it look like there? Because that is what humanity is expected to to head towards. And so Paul starts with, first off, humanity worships created things. We were made in the image of God, in the image of the creator, and then God made humanity God made bugs, God made animals. And the first thing Paul says that humanity messed up in this order, in this created order, in the Edenic order, is instead of worshiping God like we were supposed to, we saw humans and we thought, I'm going to worship humans. We saw animals and we thought, I'm going to worship those. And then bugs, we saw bugs. We're like, yeah, I'll give myself over to that as well. We've broken Eden by giving ourselves over to worshiping the chaos of other things. We've stopped worshiping the creator, instead have worshiped the created, and joined in the discord, the broken song of Melkor, of Satan. But then Paul goes to another idea. It's not that he's just harping on things that are LGBT. He's using it exactly because he's referring to Eden. And if in God's order, uh, male and female come together, well then he's going to talk about kind of a disorder that comes and it's not that um you know wherever people might find themselves on the spectrum that's not sin for paul he's not saying like if you find yourself somewhere on the spectrum that that's sin what he's saying is like okay so you found yourself in a place what do you do with it now 
And that's where the conversation for Paul becomes like, what is the way in which we go? Do we sing the song of God in the Edenic order? Or do we take on the other kind of songs that are offered? Um, and so Paul's getting into it for that reason. But he's not just going to stop there. By the end of what we just read, everybody feels that they've been judged for something, right? He's then going to go on to leaving Eden to talk about all the other kinds of sins that have just come along with the world. Uh, it's that we've filled with unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. Covetousness is right there towards the top because for the Jews, like that was like one of the chief sins. Why? Because the gateway drug in the sin world. <laughs> if you covet something, it leads you to something. So like adultery, you coveted someone's wife and therefore the coveting left into adultery. And every single sin kind of finds it. So Paul's got covetousness right at the top because he's identifying like all the sins of the world can be found in how we've pursued all these different kinds of things. He's going to talk about envy. You ever been envious of someone? Paul lists that in the dysfunction of the world. He talks about murder. You ever murder someone? I, I hope not. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, you're supposed to laugh at the end of that. I'm a little nervous being in this room now. <laughs> yeah, Jamie, we've all done it. Say one now. Um, well, you haven't. But at the same time, Paul says you have because murder starts in, sorry, Jesus says you have because murder starts in the heart. When we hate someone, murder is already there. When we lust over someone, adultery is already there. So I'm going to go on to talk about boasting, uh, being disobedient to parents. Have you ever been disobedient to a parent? Not a parrot, but a parent? <laughs> Yeah, we've all been there. We've done it. Our kids have done it. Our kids' kids have done it for a thousand upon a thousand generations. And Paul looks at the disobedience of parents and puts it right there in the web and mess of just a whole world that is filled with capital S sin, throwing it into the grips of injustice and unrighteousness. But Paul continues to come back to Jesus being our, our righteousness, Jesus being our justice, and Jesus being order, being God's song, if you will, with our Tolkien illustration here. So I've shared like my own story, where I enter into other songs, other theories. Maybe if I'm loud and angry enough, I'll be heard, instead of what Jesus says, where if I'm meek and humble and gentle, self-controlled what's your song that you prefer to sing what are you doing to try to bring it into alignment with the one song that's already been sang Tolkien also talks about how like one day that the angels and humans at the end of this age will rise up and sing a new newer even more beautiful song and it's just such a, a picture of the resurrection ahead but for now, the question becomes, how do we live in this time? In whatever space we find ourselves in, whatever culture we find ourselves in. It's not always easy. And I point my finger at myself before I point it at anyone else. In fact, biblically, I can't point it at anyone else. I just point the finger at myself. <laughs> I pull the log out of my own eye. So I might clearly be able to help you with the speck in yours. 
We turn to Jesus, and Jesus himself uh, does the same thinking as Paul. Jesus is asked at one point, what do you think about divorce, Jesus? Are you on the side of the Jews that say you can get divorced over anything, or are you on the side of the Jews that say you can't get divorced over anything? And Jesus responds by talking about Eden. What was Eden like? Well, in Eden, there was no divorce. And he just quotes it directly that male and female will come together, and then in that unification, that is um, where marriage will be found. So he's speaking against polygamy. He's speaking against all uh, these other kinds of ways of doing marriage in his own world. And he's inviting us into Eden. And so I'll leave you with that. Song of Eden, Song of Discord. How do you leave this one to come to this one in whatever space you might find yourself in? Because we're all guilty of this. And I find that when you become a Christian, this is still happening. Paul talks about how he's got to feed some people with milk because they're not ready for the meat, which means they haven't quite figured this out yet. Paul talks about one person in particular who has to leave the church because he's supposed to be singing this song, but he's singing something so extravagantly different by sleeping with his mother-in-law proudly and boasting about it to everyone in the church that Paul actually says, you've got to kick him out. Because if you leave him out, eventually he'll be turned over to all the chaos that will come on him. Melkor's song, Satan's song will become so strong that maybe... Maybe the pain that he experiences in that place will be so severe that he'll say, okay, I'm ready to sing the song now. <laughs> Isn't that weird logic? But Paul actually says, that guy who sleep with his stepmom turned him over to Satan. <laughs> Let him leave the church of the, the song of order. Let him break down in all that chaos so that his soul might be saved. And then in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about a guy who needs to come back into the church. Maybe it's the same guy. So don't leave him out there forever. Bring him back now. So he's repented. Same should be true for us. What are the things? And how do we begin to calm those down to bring him to Jesus? It was in my anger at the loudest I had ever been with my daughter that I finally felt the pain loud enough to say, I really got to change this immediately. And start getting into the song. Right, let me pray for you. I'll let you go. Jesus, we look into uh, your word. Looking for answers as to how to live. And Romans is a thing of beauty. We love to quote the passages about how Jesus has made us free. Jesus has made us righteous. Jesus has made us um, uh, justified in him. We love these victorious, huge verses that speak into our hearts. Uh, but passages like this, where we all feel the finger pointed at ourselves, we don't like those so much. But Paul's made it clear. No one's perfect. No, not one. No one's righteous. No, not one. Only Jesus is righteous. And the way that we get out of the world, out of injustice, out of uh, capital S sin is to leave it behind and start singing the song of the maker of the creator of God himself and enter into the justice of Jesus so we do that now and give ourselves over to you in Jesus name Amen